My name is Jim Kopp. I'm the director of national accounts for, um, uh, for Thornhill Companies. And let's talk a little bit, if I can push the button here. I guess that's it. Ah, purpose of national brands. Uh, it'll come as no surprise uh, to anyone here, I think, that uh, from the retailer standpoint, uh, the purpose of national brands is basically twofold. Uh, improve margin uh, and uh, bottom line profit contribution and to build brand equity. And uh, obviously the benefits of improving margin are, are, are pretty straightforward. I think we all as business people want to improve our, our bottom line performance. Um, brand equity, uh, for that I mean the development of brand equity not only for the retailer's brand itself, but also for the specific brand that is going on the shelf. And the benefits there include the ability for the retailer to establish a point of difference for their retail brand, and also to build uh, consumer loyalty, both of which are very valuable to the, to the retailer. This is, uh, that's, that's why uh, retailers generally want to do control label wines. Unfortunately, very few control label brands in the history of, the, of, the, of control label in this country have delivered very much on this, profice, uh, on this promise, if at all. And uh, to talk about that a little bit, let's kind of back up and talk a little bit about the kind of past, present, future. Uh, originally, control label brands were uh, developed primarily driven by, uh, driven by price. Uh, uh, retailers would go to suppliers or restaurateurs would go to suppliers looking to build brands uh, that were, would offer a wine to their consumer base that was the least expensive wine on the shelf. That was a good, a good concept. Uh, cheaper wine is often a good idea when it comes to the consumer. And if um, they were building a control brand for something like potato chips or another consumer item, uh, that might work really well. Potato chips, of course, have a relatively small range of price within the retail assortment, and then a relatively s small number of uh, items within that assortment. And so it's pretty easy to find the least expensive potato chip on the shelf. With wine, of course, that becomes very difficult, uh, where you have uh, a very wide range of prices available in wine, and also a very large assortment within the retail shelf, as many as 2,000 SKUs in any given retail environment. So uh, to produce a wine at the lowest light price level under generic packaging uh, it creates a wine that ends up living on the bottom shelf of the retail uh, uh, um, world, uh, which is fine. Uh, there's a lot of wine sold in that, uh, in that arena, but it does not really deliver much in the way of added margin to the retailer, nor does it deliver much in the way of brand equity to the retailer. So the, there's a disconnect between the, the promise or the desire to reason for doing the control brands and what actually happens. Now, more recently and in more current days, retailers have become very uh, creative at uh, developing, expanding their assortment of control label items within the brand, developing brands that at higher price points, I think things tend to remain skewed towards the bottom of the price scale in this arena, although many retailers have tried much higher priced wines and um, have done quite well with them. They've also improved packaging and uh, been innovative in that regard. Um, and that, those efforts have improved the, both the margin contribution by these brands as well as the brand equity that they've built, their, their establishment of uh, point of difference and, uh, and the brand equity of the brands on the shelf. But by and large, uh, there remains a disconnect uh, that, uh, that has kept these brands from really achieving the full ability of their, of their, uh, the goal of their um, uh, achieving the, the, the stated goals of their, of their ability. Uh, uh, because the, 
the concepts that are developed by the retail head office often are not translated very clearly through middle management or regional management down to the store level. So we, we end up with a situation where many store managers or even regional managers don't have awareness of which brands on the shelf are actually owned by the company and controlled by the co company. And, um, and the brands end up sitting on the shelf, uh, selling or sinking or swimming uh, kind of by accident rather than by design. Uh, on top of that, pricing gets done on these brands in very much the same way that pricing is done for all of their brands. Namely, if they see extra margin, they think they may sell more wine by dropping the price. And so any margin that is designed into the brand or any brand positioning that is designed into the brand is lost by a pricing decision that is said made uh, at the regional or store level. And uh, so again, uh, there's a disconnect between the stated goal or the purpose of the brand and what really happens. Now, uh, for us, uh, we see the future as being pretty bright because as this control brand arena evolves in the United States, more and more retailers are seeing these problems. They, they experience them, they understand them, and, uh, and are, tr are taking steps to build these brands in a more progressive manner such that they, uh, they do, in fact, achieve their goals, their stated goals. And so uh, we'll talk a little bit now just about uh, the market and, and kind of the way it works. And, uh, uh, you know, to begin with, um, uh, these days, uh, most wine sold in the country is sold in the National Account Retail Channel. Um, it's, uh, it's the biggest single, sig single segment, and in fact, it's the area where brands are now built nationally. This represents a major change in the way wine is sold over the course of the past 25 years. Um, you can, uh, as you may all remember, um, uh, it used to be that brands were built in the on-premise or in fine wine uh, independent retail shops where a, a wine shop owner or a wine geek that was happened to be on the floor would hand sell products to a consumer, tell the story, make the connection between the consumer and the wine, and, or it would be tasted and, and given trial at a restaurant account, and over time, these brands would build and, and find their way into a bigger retail environment. Um, this retail environment is interesting because from the winery side of things, that's the holy grail. That's where wine gets sold. And so it re represents the major opportunity to sell wine. Uh, on the other side of the coin, on the, from the retailer's perspective, the wine category is a pretty small part of their business. And so retailers don't resource that category with much in the way of management or resources. And uh, wine programs uh, that could be as big as uh, one or two billion dollars in sales, gigantic numbers for our side of the equation, um, are, are still relatively small to the retailer and they may be managed by a handful of people. This is one of the elements that drives that, that lack of communication from head office down to the store level. So with that in mind, what happens is the, uh, the, the, uh, the management of the brands, the promotion, the merchandising, the programming uh, gets outsourced to distributors. And the distributors end up being kind of the de facto uh, fulfillment and merchandising arm of the retailers. 
so this is Im important uh, in, a, in an arena where there's consolidation going on in the industry. Uh, more brands are being sold by fewer big suppliers. More, uh, more brands are being distributed by fewer big distributors. And uh, the only kind of bright side of this equation is that in the retail world, the, the distribution of wine is still expanding from uh, grocery to, to club channel to uh, convenience and even beyond to places like Bed Bath & Beyond or you know, it won't be long before you see wine at Home Depot and, and who knows where else. So at least there's more opportunities, more storefront places, more billboards being placed uh, uh, in the retail environment for wine to be sold. Um, the, the reality is that um, uh, the, the way the market is set up right now, uh, the larger suppliers uh, are the driving force behind most of the distributors. The distributors are beholden to them, and their goal is to sell their national brands and build their na national brands, which is directly at odds with the retailer's uh, interest in building margin. Because as uh, uh, large suppliers have driven their wines through uh, larger distributors uh, the, to build their brands, Retail sets across the spectrum of the retail world have become quite a bit more homogenized, where you get a very similar set of category leaders set up at Kroger versus Albertsons versus the various uh, uh, stores out there. And, uh, and that gives uh, a, a situation where uh, stores have less opportunity to establish a point of difference or even develop customer loyalty aside from just slashing margin and, and competing on price. Again, working against the goal of their, uh, of their improving margins and establishing more point of difference. So this makes the control label arena more important to the retailer than ever. And uh, again, why we see great opportunities going there. And so this brings us then to our approach in, uh, in developing and selling brands for the retailer. None of this is going to be a silver bullet or a big surprise or a, or a brand new idea to anybody. What we really are doing through the course of this approach is taking age-old, time-honored sales and marketing approaches to build brands and applying them to a section of the channel here that where they've just never really been applied before. And uh, we do that by starting out and researching the market. You've got to know where the market is and where it's going, what's selling and why and to who. Where are the trends? By doing that research, you find not only what's going on in the market today, but it brings to light opportunities that may be coming in the future and gives you an opportunity to talk to a retailer and say, I see the future, and the future is Merlot, or whatever it is. It's fine. But um, uh, research is very important also in terms of the retailer himself, their demographic, their people that are coming to shop at their stores, their philosophy in terms of uh, the size of their assortment and uh, the way they manage it, and, and in terms of specifically what's on the shelf. So once all that research is done, then you can develop brands. And we uh, work to authenticate or build authentic brands because if you're gonna build a brand, if any one of you or any one of us were gonna develop a brand for ourselves, you'd want a brand that had some, some uh, authenticity to it, that had some provenance. We do that by developing brands that uh, have some sort of a legacy, are connected to people, places, or things. Brands that are connected to a, a, a region, or a piece of dirt, or a person, all resonate with consumers better than those that are just a pretty label. Um, you can also do that by targeting specific market segments, uh, whether it's women, or millennials, or a Hispanic market, or whatever. 
something that will actually speak to a particular segment of the market that's buying wine. And uh, finally, you can also uh, target a specific cause uh, and uh, uh, to develop a brand, for example, that uh, targets uh, people who want to save the planet through organic uh, production techniques or sustainable product production techniques. All of these things work to, to build brands that have a story that can resonate with a specific group of consumers and have the potential to grow beyond the standard one bottle a, a week, a store that, uh, that a brand that's just sitting on a shelf may enjoy. Uh, most important probably in this whole approach is to partner and by partner I mean partnering with at every level of the supply chain such that the communication of the brand positioning and the pricing is communicated all the way to the consumer in an effective manner. This is something that's done very well in the broad market by large suppliers when they're building brands. It's the reason why brands like Mayomi and uh, 19 Crimes and, uh, and Butter, for example, are, are successful in the market. Their, uh, their marketing and, and promotion and, and, uh, and, uh, and merchandising is all very very consistent. You need to partner with the distributor. They need to be bought in on, on the brand plan and on the promotion and marketing that you're doing so that they can execute it. They're the guys executing it. The retailer will not execute it. The re the, you have to have the distributor as a partner. The retailer has to be partnered because they have to be bought in on the, on the program and they have to make room on their promotion calendars. They have to make room on the floor of their stores to promote the brands, to gain trial and to gain uh, hopefully adoption by the consumers that are coming by. So that partnership piece is extremely important. And then probably the most painful section here is investing. Everybody's got to invest as well. You've got to spend the time and the money and the effort to develop and fully flesh out the brand. And then you've got to build that brand and, and, uh, and uh, with the, with the uh, uh, distributor and the retailer going forward, communicate that information with the retailer going forward. Um, the distributor has to inv uh, invest in, in the form of uh, driving their merchandising teams to execute on the, on the fulfillment and the merchandising. That's their main role in this arena. And then again, the retailer has to invest by spending the time on their, uh, their promotion calendar and in their floor, on their floor space to spend the time to build that brand. And then finally, the brand needs to be driven. And that really falls to the supplier. I mean, that really comes down to uh, making sure that the wine is in inventory in the warehouse, making sure that the wine is actually on the shelf, making sure that the promotion and merchandising plans that are established are executed when they're supposed to be executed. It's all the nuts and bolts of the wine business. Again, none of this is a, uh, a brand new or, uh, or a silver bullet type of idea, but very little of this is, it, is in fact applied in the control label sphere these days. This is changing, it's becoming, and we're seeing again, retailers who are more and more interested in driving this, but it, it becomes incumbent upon us as suppliers to help drive that and make these things happen so that the brands can actually grow and then deliver on the promise of better margins for the retailer and brand equity that's built bo both for the retailer and the, and the brand itself. So uh, that was my uh, very brief and 15 minutes of, uh, of covering uh, uh, a, a fairly broad topic, and uh, I apologize. I, I, uh, skip through that very quickly, but uh, hopefully on aggregate, that's uh, information that gives you all a little bit something to think about. Any, uh, any questions or thoughts or comments uh, on, on that? Yes? Are retailers asking you to do more to um, flesh out a brand to make it look and live and feel like, like a national brand, like develop digital assets, social media marketing, Instagram accounts, et cetera, et cetera? Um, short answer is yes. 
Um, each retailer has their own, uh, I'll say, channels of promotion that they are comfortable with and use. Um, most of them are driven by their own marketing departments that have very strict uh, regulations on, on, on the way that they can use things. But uh, absolutely, uh, we're being asked quite regularly for programs that uh, will help reach more consumers and bring more awareness of, of the brands that are on the shelf to them. Yes. A question for you, more so in the context of the spirit side of things, but how challenging do you think it is to develop a brand, you know, a private label, um, and push it towards the high-end price point in the industry? Uh, great question. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, news out about the premiumization of the wine business and the spirits business as well, and even the, even the beer channel. Um, uh, it is challenging. Um, it's challenging on a number of, for a number of reasons. Uh, while sales are up in the premium level of all these products, those sales are still relatively small compared to the, the, the lower price points. And uh, it requires a, uh, a focus by, the, by all, all levels of the supply chain and the retailer specifically on the stores specifically that, uh, that the pr more premium priced brands can go into. And that brings with it the problem of promotion with a, rather than on a national level uh, in a ve in very focused way. So um, uh, it takes a little bit more time and thought to, to produce and, and, and deliver on that promise. But there is tremendous opportunity there. Uh, there's, there's huge growth there. And, uh, and I think it does bring a great opportunity to deliver, particularly on the brand equity piece of the of the goal of the whole private label or, or control brand arena. So, yes. That's you. You know, absolutely. And actually, I've seen uh, uh, a few great examples of that recently. I think that that trend is actually growing. And I think there's also tremendous opportunity there. Absolutely. And it works. You get the, the benefit of the existing brand, uh, brand equity that's just uh, piggybacked on by the, by the control brand. So sure, yeah. So OK, I'm, I'm being pushed. I know we're short on time. Uh, appreciate all you guys coming. Thank you very much for your time.